Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Ferdinand Mellinger, is a foundational member of the original Backrub team that later evolved into Google. He's become known for his expertise in data structuring and algorithm development, and has played a significant role in decoding complex data into code, which paved the way for creating Google's influential search algorithms. Now, under the mentorship of a very seasoned billionaire, Ferdinand honed his entrepreneurial skills and transformed himself into a visionary business leader, which he is today. His ability to establish strategic partnerships across various industries, including biotechnology, nutrition and fitness, real estate, and artificial intelligence, as well as some financial markets, has been noteworthy to say the very least. His journey underscores the importance of innovation and his steadfast commitment to excellence. It has not always been easy along the way, and he has an enduring contribution to continue to shape both the technology and business landscapes offering lots of inspiration where he can to those aspiring entrepreneurs. And he takes a very pragmatic approach and has a very deep understanding of the data. And he has made a lasting impact on the world of technology and business. Listen in and let's get this show started. Ferdinand Mellinger, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure to say Well, we've only had a few minutes to actually meet, which is often the case with my guests. However, you've got a really impressive bio and one sheet that you sent along. So I appreciate that. But aside from the kind of introduction I do, you know, it's always better to hear from my guests exactly what they do or what they, you know, kind of where they are. So if somebody says to you, you know, Ferdinand, what do you do for a living or what do you do? What's your answer to the question? That is always a little bit of a long-winded one because I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur, but I started my, I guess I started my run with learning how to build some wealth when I worked for Backrub. Uh, this, everybody knows it is Google, but I worked for Backrub and we were just kids at the time. It wasn't anything like we were thinking we were working for some huge company. It wasn't anything like that. It was more of, Something's cool here. The internet wasn't really invented. You know, all those AOL CDs were being tossed out everywhere. So it was kind of a cool job to have. And we were just a bunch of nerds and we had a bunch of fun and um, helped to code. It was basically just data transfer. We were just taking things that were in your phone book, at hospitals, pieces of data that were coming back, then we're coding it into an algorithm so that when you went to, into a, when you went into a search, that algorithm would would then provide those specific pieces. It wasn't anything 
you know, what it is, is what it is now, but it was the foundation for search um, as well. So, well, okay. So before I move on from that, so I don't know that most people understand the relatedness or relationship of Backrub slash Google. Give me a little bit more, uh, unpack that a little bit. Sure. So Backrub was a, uh, it was just an internet company that we were, they were trying to take over the web as for search for data search and being able to provide the most informative results for searches that were being done on the internet at that time. So in order to do that, to take an, an algorithm and, and design that to make search what it is, you have to take information and then plug that into an algorithm. And then it branches with different nodes, meaning that if it, if it says this, then this, if, that says this, then this, if that says this. So it just kind of builds out into a massive algorithm. And we were just kind of designing it at the time, the best way that we knew could, that we could. Um, then they got a new management company. And then, then with the venture capital firm that they had and that kind of booted everybody out. So after we had asked for healthcare. And <laughs> so you were, so you were an employee of Backrub doing that yeah. work and behind the scenes Backrub got picked up by Google. Is that the kind of the story there? Yeah. So we went in on a Tuesday morning after, you know, we had seen changes like Backrub at first was very, uh, like just a bunch of tables and wires and phones and computers and develop there was nothing there it wasn't anything exciting we we're just going to you know this huge like office that didn't even have walls yeah um then it changed to having walls that we were all like huh that's interesting then they divvied us all up so coders and programmers went into different areas so we saw that and then nicer cars started coming into the parking lot um, so we saw something coming. We just didn't know. We were young. We didn't know. We had no clue. So where does that leave you? So after all that happened, uh, where did it evolve to, to where you're at today? After that, I got kind of, uh, I would say it was, I was hurt basically because I felt like we had built so much. I, I think I felt hurt more or less. And then I, it kind of went into like, oh, I'm going to get them back. And that was where I kind of decided I'm going to start a, did a little bit of acting for a little bit, um, had some, cause I didn't want to do anything with computers. I was just, I was yeah. so <laughs> trained. I felt betrayed. So I went into acting, did some stuff for friends, did some stuff for American beauty and then didn't like that. And then started my own agency because I knew how to rank pretty much anything on the first page. So I started my agency. I didn't really know business that well. I was just, I knew I had a talent. So I just started with what I had, <laughs> which was, I had a bunch of knowledge. I didn't know how to use it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to help people out and, and build their, you know, web profile out and their networks and PBNs at that time and stuff. So yeah, that's what I did. And so what did that evolve to? Like, what was it a... What? That turned into actually some really cool stuff because I went from having my little agency that was really, we're doing well. I was living in Orange County, Mission Viejo, and doing really well from what I thought. But then I was speaking at an event and then I got a mentor who was a multi-billionaire. That really shifted me into a um, whole new level. It just opened my eyes to a whole lot of new things. So then I started partnering with my clients Instead of, I always call it, instead of working for, I started working with, and that changes the posture and conversations. So it 
ended up turning into being a lot of really cool partnerships within different niches because a lot of people didn't have the ability to rank their website or they didn't know what they needed to do to rank their web pages on the first page of Google. To me, that's kind of like pouring a bowl of cereal. It was just really easy. So, you, you know, having a billionaire as a mentor, you get access to different attorneys and you have these wild ideas and then they craft it up and then it becomes, you know, comes into fruition. It's kind of like manifestation of your own destiny. So, um, so yeah, I've partnered with a number of different companies from the MLS to the Department of Defense to uh, nutrient companies to fitness influencers to biotech companies to e-waste companies to app companies. So yeah, I've kind of built... And it's not like I'm taking a massive percentage, but, you know, a 10% cut here and there is really nice. So that's kind of part of what you built in terms of, uh, I, I guess I would say that was part of what your business model was, was to take that percentage, build equity that way as well. And then would you then cash in on that equity when you ex- when they exited or when you exited? How did you how did you get a chance? Or was it just 10% of whatever new business? 99-year contract, yeah. So it's pretty much a 99-year contract forever, in a sense. Um, and if there is like one company that I have involvement right now, if there is, let's say, an acquirement, then at that time, then, you know, I, I kind of make that decision. But I have that kind of written into high, kind of have that uh, capability at that time to kind of make that decision that's best for my family. Because with every contract that I go into, every single one, I am very clear from the get-go with whoever I'm working with that my son is my main concern. I want to make sure that it's generational wealth being built. So it's not necessarily built for me as of now, but I want to make sure that it's in operation for a dynasty trust later on for him down the line. So I'm, I'm very clear so that they have the understanding that that's my goal with this. And it's not to just make a ton of money right up front. You know, sometimes it takes time. So that's kind of how I've set that up. And then sometimes you have different partners where you have to, you have to exit out. Um, but I think as you grow, you learn how to maneuver in that gauntlet so that you don't make those mistakes. You know, there's a, a I've got a number of kind of directions I want to go, but, you know, let's go back a little bit. You talked about, you know, working with a, you know, multi-billionaire and sounds like you worked pretty closely with that particular mentor. And, you know, there's a lot of learning that goes in that just in the operations of things. You know, when you consider, you know, your own evolution, you know, one of the things that um, I've discovered with, you know, my, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years and, and then I've run across and happened to work with some really cool people and, you know, there's always, from my perspective, there's this kind of understanding that the evolution of who we are as people, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as much as it is about what we do and how we do it and having strategies, there is an evolution of who we have to be or who we have to become to kind of achieve the goals that we want. So when you think about you know, working with somebody that has achieved that result. I mean, those are, that's a big result to be in that billion dollar plus nosebleed kind of section of a net worth and or business. You know, do you think that how he was showing up, how he made decisions, how he operated, how he treated people, did you learn, like, did you, were you, was part of your learning just the observation of that? And did that in fact shift how you were? 
He was an ex-Navy SEAL, so his dealing with people was a little bit harsh. Um, I wouldn't say that I picked up on the dealing with people aspect with his. Well, I guess the, the other side of that coin, Ferdinand, is that you learn how you don't want to treat people. You know, that, that could well, for you, right? Yeah, well, he, you know, he's at, he was at that level of the FU money. You know, he had, he had the FU. So it's, it's, he had ways of dealing with things that I would never even think in a million years. Like I would never even think I've, I've seen him take, you know, $1,200 bottles of wine and slam them on the ground at a business meeting because he was insulted that they drank at a business meeting. It was like when you're, if you drink this, you're not here. Why do I want to have a meeting with you? You're not here. I need you here. So those things clicked and they very, you know, little things like, and so he may have taken things to an extreme, but later on down the line in certain dealings that I had with partners and mistakes that I've made were very resembling of what I saw with him. So he didn't like people drinking. And when people drink within their business, it the decisions sometimes are just not the best ones. Um, so it was a very good lesson, even though he took it at a harsh level. However, I did see now dealing with that on the flip side in business. So not dealing with personalities and dealing with a person, but your the way you handle a task, the way you are handling approaching a contract, negotiations, that I did handle with that fervor. I, I, I put that much intent behind everything that I did. Uh, maybe with not that much anger or you know, that much, you know, like, you know, that husband that he had, but uh, I, I I did take that and I I, I implemented it into my everyday values of what I do. Well, it's an interesting, you know, my observation and, you know, I know one guy who's a billionaire or right there, but the point is, is that when you start to get into those nosebleed kind of ranges of income and net worth, uh, I don't know anybody of a high, high net worth that isn't intense, like incredibly intense. They're not casual about anything. They're very intentional about it. They may show up on the outside if you're just being social they're pretty cash, but you get them into a meeting, you get them into a negotiation, you get them into a decision-making process, and the intensity is very, very clear. They're very definitive. They know what they want, who they want to do business with, who they don't want to do business with. Now, that's my observation of many high net worth. So when you talk about your mentor who you know guided you to the degree he would, I'd like to hear about some of the you know, how you worked with him in that mentorship role. He's a Navy SEAL. So, I mean, at that point, all the fluff is off. All the, you know, there is no rose on on that stem. It's all about, you know, harshness. (laughs) There was none. none. Yeah, you know, it's funny that I, a lot of people ask me, how did you get him? How did you find that mentor? And it was, yeah, I think I was just doing what I had to do. And I was, putting myself in situations to where I could expand my knowledge and help people. So I was speaking at different events and I was trying to just expand my knowledge. So that's how I met him. He was at an event. He saw me speaking 
I didn't know who he was. And he and I kind of courted each other for a while there. And he, uh, he he's a very high, a lot of his uh, contracts were government contracts. So in order to get into his organization, you had to get vetted. It wasn't like it could just start tomorrow and you're like, okay, I'm at work. It, it, it was not like that at all. I went out to a dinner with him. Uh, they honestly felt at that dinner, it was the right time to ask him to teach me what he knew. Uh, it just, it was, it was a private moment. Granny had, a, had one of his assistants there, but I felt, and I, I'm kind of one of those people, I don't put a, I don't put a foot in my mouth sometimes. I just kind of blurt it out. So that's what I did. And I just, I said to him, I said, will you please, please teach me what you know, or please teach me what, you, what everything that you know. I basically wanted to know. So I was like, please, please, please teach me everything you know. And then she, his uh, uh, assistant, Liz, she, he didn't say anything to me. He just looked dead at me. Didn't, didn't say anything. There was nothing that came out of his mouth. She said, be careful what you wish for. And I said, what do you mean? And then she said, it was the most painful thing I've ever been through. She goes, I wouldn't change anything. She goes, but it was the most painful thing I've ever been through. I looked back at him and I said, I'm in 150%. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. Didn't know. So from that point, I got a handler. He agreed. And then I got a handler. The handler, I had two handlers. So the first handler I went through, it was, it was a lot of getting to know my process. What was I doing with my day? What was, how was I spending my time? Who was I spending it with? Where was I spending it at? And then that was then taken back and kind of reported. And then I got another handler that was more teaching me how to behave in board meetings if I was a proxy. Uh, so he would invite me into board meetings. We, I'd listen, because I couldn't say anything. I'd listen. He would then go over the notes with me afterwards. And he was really cool. I really enjoyed him. He had a lot of energy. Different, you know, there's different personalities that you've learned. You know, this is what he was teaching me to work with, was different personalities. Liz, my first handler, she was very precise. Uh, she would not get out of bed if there was not $250,000 on the table. She would not even answer her phone. She was, so she was very precise. She had a, her nickname was the Black Widow. So she had a Black Widow stitched on her Ferrari on the dashboard. <laughs> really cool. Redhead, blue eyes, really cool. I mean, she, 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 she was the one they sent in to infiltrate to all the businesses because it let the guard down. So it was a real lot of interesting stuff that they did. I, I don't incorporate myself, but they would send her in to let the guard down because with men, they said that's the first thing is when a man enters a room and you're trying to negotiate something, you're trying to find out information about a business, guards are up, but a woman comes in, especially if she's beautiful, that way the guards go down and they can find out the information, usually the weak points of the businesses, and then that's when they can come in and make their offers. So that's kind of how they went about just grabbing everything. So, but tell me, uh, you know, in that mentorship, are you working as a job? Are you now working for free and just getting the mentorship? What, you know, what's the, what is your kind of role in that capacity? That was where I had it all messed up in my head. I'm thinking, well, I got a mentor. This is great. I'm going to start making all this money. No, 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 no. It was, um, 
like she said, that was probably, that was, that was rough. That was rough. I went through a lot of rough stuff growing. Didn't get paid. And that's hard to explain to your family, you know, because, you know, there's nothing coming in. So why are you spending all this time? Sure. Um, now, were you working a side hustle? Yeah, I had my, you know, yeah, I had my, I had my business. So, you know, I was, I still have my digital marketing business. So I was doing well, but again, it, when you see that level, you're not doing that well. You know, he had 13 Ferraris. I had a Mercedes, like there, there was the difference in the level was ridiculous. So I was trying to achieve that level. So when you're trying to get there, it's kind of like when you're trying to get a new job and you can't get the job, you just feel like. When is this going to happen? When, how is it, how is this going to happen? When I'm, I'm ready, you know, it's that whole, like you're anxious, but nothing was for your good 18 months. <laughs> nothing happened. So were they at, at that point, that 18 months, was that grooming you for a specific role within his corporation? Yes. Now that, okay. So again, because you're new with all this, you don't realize what you're going through. You, you're stretching, you're, you're, being bent you're 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 learning how far you can be pushed through certain business um acumen so they were trying to see where my strengths and my weaknesses were they were trying to see what i was good and what i wasn't good at and they were very they had very specific roles on the team everyone had a specific role nothing overlapped um and i remember him telling me he was like you know i don't need to have you here. I don't need you to be learning from me. This, you know, he goes, I already, he, he had done that with Liz. And he was like, that was the last one that I, I was going to work with. He goes, so I don't need you. He's, he's, again, he's, he was a Navy SEAL. It's very, very, he didn't care how you felt. So even if it hurt my feelings, he didn't care. So you just have to learn to deal with that slap constantly just helps you build your business uh, savvy. You're just you're like, okay, that's fine. If you're not ready now, you're not ready. Don't you take it. Per- it's that it's not, it's not personal. It's business. It's, that's a prime example. That wasn't, per- he wasn't doing that to be mean to me, to make me feel like I was horrible. He was trying to find my, my strengths and my weaknesses. They found my weaknesses and they found my strengths. And then they, we had a big ceremony when I was finally accepted into his organization and they gave me my symbol, which I was like, this is really lame. Like it, it was, it, to me, it sounded lame. But then when they explained it to me, it was really cool because I was, I was able to handle a lot of pressure. So that was a very um, rewarding experience after the fact that I had gone through all of this pain and heartache because it's, you know, your fa- again, it's your family that you go home to every single night and there's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. And that hurts. That hurts. So when you look at it and you got the role 18 months later, were you happy with the role? Were you happy with the job? Did you hang in there for a few years, few months? Where, where did that all go? I was extremely happy with the role. Ecstatic. I was ecstatic with the role, but I, did, I still didn't understand the gravity of it. If that makes any sense, I, he was trying to teach me even all through that time, even at that point of realization, when I finally made it, I still didn't, I still didn't get it. Like I still, it didn't, it didn't click till four, like four years later. 
So yeah, I was very ecstatic. I was happy. I was excited. Everything was like, whoa, this is great. Things are happening. But I, I feel like it was kind of on a, I was down here with my excitement level where I could have been up here had I been really paying attention and applying everything that he said. But I, I you know, I, I honestly was at that point, I, I really was putting everything into play that he was teaching me. I really was putting everything into play. So I think maybe it was just timing and learning what happens later on when that all kind of comes to fruition. Um, but when it happens, I can tell you it was like a, it was like a lightning bolt. It was like, whoa, that's what he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. And it, it changed. That's when my world exploded at that very point. So before then with him and working with him and being a proxy in his board meetings, and we had a smell neutralization company that we'd scale to different products. That was my growth, really, if that makes any sense. It wasn't really like, an, it was exciting, but it was still growth. I was still growing. Until that lightning bolt hit me, that is when things really shifted financially. So when you say that, was that because of your ability to sell better, negotiate contracts better? What showed up differently that was that kind of aha realization that you'd either arrived somewhere or you'd achieved some level of understanding? Is there something definitive you can put around it? It was, so he sat, the, the very first time he sat me down when I came from my proxies, very, when I first, my first meeting with him, he said to me, we both have 24 hours in the day. Why am I making so much more money than you? I didn't know how to answer him. So I, I was honest and I said, I don't know. And he said, I'll tell you why, because your time management sucks because you're so focused on the service industry that you can't duplicate yourself. And he goes, I have 2003 products. He goes, if I lose one, I can you know, wipe my butt with it and I can make money with the rest of them. That was the lesson he was trying to, the very first day, very, the very first day he was trying to teach me this. All that time I went through, 18 months, right there with him and going through everything, still didn't click. Four years later, still didn't click. I'm sitting there one night with one of my partners and it clicked. I was like, you have products. And he was like, I have 300 products. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. 300 products. So I drove out to Vegas, signed a contract. I tried to get a 50% cut because I was just so excited because I had, I had it, it dawned on me what he was talking about. He couldn't do the 50, but he did, he did a 30. And that was my first journey into making money while I slept. That's, and that's when it really the product, product realization that that's, that I have to say was the shift. That's what realizing what it could do for you. I think in a sense, you know, because it's, you do your service, you're always trying to help people, but you can't, like you said, I can't duplicate myself. I can only be so many places at one time with a product. I can sell it all day long throughout the world. So that was the big aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think there's a, you know, I often use the phrase that there's no such thing as time management. Time just is. We can't manage it. All we can manage is our focus. And ultimately, you know, he was calling you out on a couple of things like, what are you spending your time doing? Where are you 
uh, kind of not leveraging, you know, in this case, you're not leveraging your time, you're selling your time in a lot of ways, because you've got one product or whatever that might be. But ultimately, he opened up the door of going, okay, look what you can do. It's interesting with my teams, you know, I've, I've had managers that I've had to wrap their mind around increasing sales, but they don't realize that they're the limitation to increasing sales because they're so in it and they believe they're the only ones that can do it and that they're the only ones that can do it really well. And I go, no, you got to duplicate yourself four or five times over, you know, create a sales team, build a sales team. So they're selling different products to your point. So you have multiple products to sell and multiple people selling them. That's leveraging your focus and leveraging your time, you know, at the end of the day. So it's an interesting lesson that sometimes it's just hard to get it, you know. So Ferdinand, when you look at, you know, where you got to in terms of now you're working with this billionaire, you've actually asked for this, he's given it to you, uh, you've thrown caution to the wind, and you're going to work with him in spite of the warning. You know, there's a, a part of me that says, well, who was that guy? So in other words, where did you come through to be, you know, where you started in terms of writing code or whatever you were doing in the background, technology-wise, we'll call it, and, you know, into this entrepreneurial spirit or having this, you know, entrepreneurial kind of drive. Was that from family? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Where did you get your tenacity from? Were you, you know, did you have five brothers that you had to fight for food with? Or, like, what drove that tenacity? I'd have to give that probably to... My, yeah, my parents, I have two sisters, but there was no competition like that. We were just close. Um, the, my parents, my stepdad was a surgeon. So he was, he was, it was, they, they were self-made millionaires. So I watched them build. Um, so I, I think growing up in that household, growing up with seeing, my stepdad was a foot doctor for the Lakers. So um, seeing like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jerry West and Magic Johnson and Cookie Johnson and all of these people coming through our house when I was young and then um, the Rolling Stones because he was a doctor for them. So I came home one day and the, their bus was in our driveway. I didn't know who they were because that wasn't like my music that I listened to, but going in there, they looked familiar and I was like, oh yeah, like, but I was going to a Ducks game because he had... My parents had season tickets to the Ducks and we had box seats. So I was getting up some friends and I was like grabbing the tickets off the kitchen counter and leaving. So I think with that, seeing that and then that's kind of how I expected life to be. I didn't really see life as being any different, but in order to <laughs> in order to have those things, you got to make a lot of money. So it's kind of like, well, that's, gotta, I, guess, I guess that's an interesting question, right? You know, I often go back with guests and I, you know, I ask the question, is it nature or is it nurture? You know, when you are, I mean, it sounds like you're into a upper middle or wealthy family, your dad's a surgeon working hard, uh, obviously being smart in terms of what he's doing with his money, you know, and so you as a young man growing up, I mean, you're really into an environment where things are pretty ideal, no pressure in terms of, you know, dollars and cents, as opposed to I'm saying somebody that's maybe raised on the wrong side of the tracks and is grinding it out. Did, do you think when you look at the environment of growing up and what you had in terms of 
you know, living conditions, for example, or doors being opened or the people that you met, you know, do you think that was when you reflect on it, was that an advantage for you or some might say, no, it was an absolute handcuff. What was it for you? Or is there a view of that from your perspective? So I had both sides. My stepdad, who's a surgeon, he, we had the good life with him, but I had my other side where my mom was married to my dad and I had to go live with my grandparents. Still, they were, they were upper middle class, but because I was a black kid in a black community that talked like I was white, didn't go well. They like the black kids just did not like me at all. Like I was beat up every day. I always had my lunch ticket taken. So I wasn't like for two and a half years, I didn't eat lunch. I never ate lunch because my lunch ticket was taken. So I had, and then, oh, so then when I went to, live with my mom and my stepdad and it was more of a white community because it was in Mission Viejo. That was an interesting aspect too, because there was a racism that we, that I encountered on that space. So I kind of had to be good at sports to get the acceptance for certain things. Um, and then that kind of helped me. So I think in my grandparents, you know, living in within the, the black community, seeing, the struggle there, I didn't want to be a part of that. Seeing what I went through with my parents and what I had to go through on a personal level, I wanted to be above that so that because I was taught money's an equalizer. So I was more focused on just trying to succeed as much as I could to get out of both of those situations or to make it like that person said, make money the equalizer. And that's pretty much what I did. And it really worked. It, 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 it's become an equalizer for me um, on a number of levels. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that's kind of, kind of how I, I never really thought about that before. Well, we, I guess we never really, you know, sometimes there's these moments in time where we say, you know, how did we develop in the character that we particularly have, you know, sometimes it's survival, sometimes it's a traumatic moment. You know, in your case, you know, you had these both sides of it and you went up. Oh, well, one thing I know is that if <clears throat> ultimately, if I can rise above that, it actually developed probably some of your tenacity, who knows, you know, at the end of the day, you made a decision that says, I'm not going to be a victim to all of these things that are happening in my life, you know, with your grandparents versus the other side of the tracks, if you will. And then ultimately, you know, you, uh, you, you rise above it and you say, you, you know, I mean, many may have used that as an excuse and may have used it as a, a victim. I'm the way I am and I'm not as uh, successful as I could be because of how I was raised. And you can say the same thing. I'm as successful as I am because of how I was raised and the diversity or the challenges that I faced. And many don't, by the way, they use it as an excuse to be subpar, even though, you know, yep. even though I agree. they had the same break, right? I, I I do agree with that. Yeah, that that makes perfect, perfect sense. And it's it's funny that I've never really even I, that's you just sparked something I never even really thought about that before. <laughs> there you go. Now, when you look at you know for clarity, so where are you still in? Am, am I okay? Am I being accurate to say you're in the tech industry, or are you not in the tech industry? What are you doing these days? Yeah, yeah. I you know I my mind is 
it's constantly going. I'm always trying to work for, you know, since working at Google, that whole algorithm to me is such a very uh, fascinating. Like I just, I work, I think I work on it every day, just trying to rank sites or client sites or a different landing page. And so, yeah, tech, I think will always be a part of who I am. It's just, that's my, um, it's in my blood. I can't, I can't really even sit down and watch TV. I'll sit down for like 15 minutes and I got to get back up and then I'm, I'm right back into doing my, uh, <laughs> right back at the computer and, and whether it's learning a data set and I'm trying to make things happen or I'm just have an idea of, okay, if we do this and if I link this to that, I wonder if it'll get me this result. Um, so a bunch of, it's just, yeah, I'm just a big nerd, I guess, when it comes down to it, just, I just nerd out all the time. That's so, yeah, that's, I, I can't get away. From, I try, I really do. I, I, I've, I've really given it a try to, um, to get away from it, but I, I can't, I just can't get away from it. It's, it's something well, you that do, just, I guess, you know, ultimately, you know, it's one of those things too, is that if you're doing what you love to do and then you can see the growth in it, you know, yeah. when you start to see the future of it, you know, are you then playing in the space of AI and examining the possibilities there? You know, it, it really is anybody who's a user of AI. I mean, it's quite remarkable. I'm, you know, I've, I've played with it quite a lot. I've done a lot of things with it. I cannot even believe the amount of time and energy that it saves. It's crazy. And I love it somewhat afraid of it, but I guess ignorance is bliss. So, you know, when we think about AI, what's your kind of goals around that, if any? With AI, I've kind of been working with AI since 2016. I saw kind of what was coming or see what's coming. Um, and I, I've really kind of put myself into a position to where I can kind of be ahead of the forefront. So I have a, a company that now I have part of the executive team for them, which is called Outlier, which is a AI stock trading assistant um, that we've built. Um, actually, I shouldn't say we. I'm just a part of the team for the search and the media, everything that happens with search and all their content. The developer of the algorithm, when I met him and I heard his code, how he designed the code, because I remember what Google had. I totally remember how we were building that. When I heard what he had done, I was like, oh my heaven, this is incredibly special. So that again, that didn't happen for like a year. It was that we were, we were, there was nothing happening about that. It, had, it was in development for five years. So AI is, is very big. I think it's going to change the world as we know it, as it is. Uh, I think people are going to have to implement it in some way or another, whether it's um, with their work and their processes, or whether if, if it's with, I have a friend that's working on an AI, someone like, let's say uh, a piece of equipment breaks, this AI sends out uh, a signal into the cloud to then tell what piece of that equipment got broken and notifies the work crew, and then also make sure that it's on order. So it's all happening at once. So I think this is where we're going to kind of see the world go. I think that's just where it's going. So I'm trying to stay at the forefront of it as I can, because I do not see AI leaving anytime soon. So I'm trying to get myself in as, as much as I can with it. 
So when you think about, you know, what the work you've done in the past, I don't know if you've been paying attention or if it's in your sphere of interest, but, you know, I just, Europe just kind of launched their whole digital ID initiative. And do you play in that space at all? Because I start to wonder about algorithms and how they track things. And, you know, the whole concept of digital ID is quite controversial on one side of it, quite convenient on the other side of it. Anyways, is that something that you've paid attention to? Is there a space that you've had an opportunity to participate in? Any any view of that world? Yeah, I so I'm more on kind of the Web3 wave with the digital identities and digital ownership. I think we have a little ways to go, but I think when Web3, we're able to control our digital identities instead of having big companies like Facebook or Twitter or, or X um, or Instagram controlling the data that's being shared or controlling the data that they have of ours. I think that's going to be a very happy time for people, but I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get that prepared. Um, but I think Web3 will be a big step in the right direction just for our ownership of our own properties, just our own data. I think that's only right. And I think that if we share that with anybody, that we should be rewarded, which is what they're trying to do within Web3. So yeah, I, I, I'm i for it. I think it needs some more work. I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done with it so that it kind of is a little bit more understandable and it's a lot more easier for people to deal with because it, it's a little confusing for people to figure out right now, what is this whole Web3 and how do I set it up? Almost kind of like crypto. It's like all these things that you have to do just to get one thing done. Right. So in your kind of your history, I mean, you've had a lot of wins along the way. Uh, like many entrepreneurs, many business owners, you've taken a couple of big hits. Uh, we just shared off camera a little bit, you know, one that you had five or six years ago. Do you want to give us a little insight into that? And it was a pretty substantial loss by anybody's standards. Uh, what did you learn from that and or give us a little bit of background what happened or why it happened you know what did you step over or not see and how did it all come to be and then what'd you learn from it yeah uh so i learned a lot from that that was a very uh you know as entrepreneurs man we make stupid decisions at times you know we just do it was one of those things where I didn't listen to what my business mentor had said. Some of the things he was very, very, very clear to me on. And I didn't listen. Just didn't listen. So obviously the results are going to be what they were. But I got involved with a group where I, li I, I liked them more than what was benefiting me. So I, they just were cool. It was a cool group to hang around. And maybe it's because I'm kind of such a nerd that, you know, when you get around kind of cool people was having fun. And what happened was they, they were, they drank all the time, which number one rule, don't, don't, that was, that was a number one rule he didn't like. Number two rule was he said, never get into business with someone who just got out of a, a divorce said, because if this is the way they treated their partners, how are they going to treat you? This guy just got out of a divorce. <laughs> like everything that he told me, I did the exact opposite. So um, what ended up happening was it was a 
It was $8 million loss. They stole $8 million and they left to Laos, the country of Laos, because they had some family that was in the hierarchy of the kings and queens there. So there's nothing I could do. So it's like the money was just gone. And yeah, that was a, that was not a good time. Um, my wife had no idea that that had happened. So you just, you know, I just had to, um, I don't, you know, there was really no, I can't really say this happened or that. It just, I was in this whirlwind, you know, it was kind of this, I just felt like it was this whirlwind. It was just a cycle of just constant. And it was the mental, I remember the big mental was, it, it was the constant beating up on myself constantly. And I had to break that because that kept me in that get down on yourself, but I can get back up. And then rah, 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 you did this. Can't believe you did that. You did this to your family. You did this to your son. How could you do all that yelling in my ear? That's just making me feel like so less of a man because I did, I did. I hurt them. I, I hurt them. So you have to pull yourself out of that. I don't, and I can't, say how I did. All I remember is I hated where I was. I hated what I did. And I know the only way to get back to where I was, was to put one foot in front of the other. That's all I had. Because I didn't have anything to fall back on. I had to put one, I literally had to put one foot in front of the other. If I was standing, let's move on. If I fell, someone help me, get me up. So, but it was one foot and I had to do things that I didn't love doing, like just doing work that I didn't want to do because I had already gotten to a certain level and now I had to go back. It was, it was, that sucked. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, you know, when you look at that part of your you know story and you go back, you know, you mentioned that your wife didn't even know what had happened until at some point you kind of go, this is what happened. You know, that puts a lot of pressure on a marriage. Did you get through it? Did you survive it? Are you still with the same wife? Oh, yeah, that's... So my wife and I have known each other since I was 17. We've... And she was 19. We had a uh, very strong group of friends that we were just friends with. We were very tight. All of us were. I dated one of her friends, so she never dated me. We lost touch for 13 years. 13 years later, we got back in touch and we became one. Because 60 years after I saw her again, I married her. But she, I remember, she, it's, it, it's hard to talk about because it's, even though it was so long ago, it's still, you know, it, it's one of those wounds that's, it's fresh. It's, 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 it's there and it, it won't ever go away. It, it's not something that you can forget. It's not, it, it's not one of those. It's, it's there. So, but I remember her saying to me, I'd fallen down, breaking down. I just, I broke down crying because I, there's nothing you could do. So I remember her saying, it's my turn now. She looked at me and she said, it's my turn now. And then she took the reins and I had to, at that time, I had to really just let her do it because I didn't like giving that control over to being like, God, I have to give this to you now. Like, that's not my, I, I never wanted to do this. That's not my goal as a husband. I didn't want you to have to do this. So, but she did. And then it took me um, 
two years to get everything back. And then from that point on, it from that point on, it was diversification. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, I'm diversifying now. Everything I do, just like what he had taught. Uh, again, every lesson that he had taught me, I just didn't listen. I didn't diversify. I didn't not listen to the, the guy was drinking. The guy had got everything he taught me, I didn't do. So of course the results were going to be disastrous. So I, you know, I kind of got what I deserve, deserved. I don't like that I had to go through it, but it's just, you know, we make those mistakes as entrepreneurs. We do that. We, you know, it, it happens. Hopefully we don't, but you do. You know, one of the things that I, uh, um, I'll call him a bit of a mentor. It was a mentor moment, very wealthy guy that I was, uh, we were on vacation with. We were on his beautiful sailboat in the Caribbean. And I had a few minutes to speak with him. And I said to him, I said, you know, Brian, I go, you know, you're worth multi, multi millions. You've really achieved a lot. I mean, by the time he was 20, he had 5 million net worth. Like he was just one of those overachievers. And at that time he was now, I think probably 60, 55. When I was talking to him and we're sitting on the boat and I had his ear and I go, man, I'm just not going to missed the opportunity to pick this man's brain a little bit. So I said, so Brian, like, like, how did you do it? And he looked at me and he goes, I don't make mistakes. And I went, how that landed with me was, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't make, like in my head, I didn't say that out loud. Right. I go, what do you mean you don't make mistakes? That's the conversation I'm having. And it came across and landed for me. I go, wow, is that ever arrogant? But he stopped, like it was just a pause. And, you know, he said, I only get a result. And it's either a result I want or it's a result I don't want. He says, people hang out in this world of I make a mistake or I made mistakes because I don't make mistakes. I just get a result. It's either what I wanted and what I don't. I either put in the correction, uh, readjust, reset the trajectory, or I throw it to the side. You know, I kick it to the curb. Ultimately, I just don't make mistakes. I don't hold it that way. I only ever get a result and it's the result I want or not. And that's it. It was so matter of fact that you knew that's exactly his mental state. I don't make mistakes. That's it. That makes a lot. You know, it's funny that you say that because my mentor used to always say, even when I lose, I win. And I used to always, and I mean, he would say it with such pride. Like he, like, like he would take these laws. Even when I lose, I win. What? what? I, even when I, like he had this arrogance about it, but thinking about, like that loss, a lot of people would look at it as like, oh, it's, oh my God, dude, that's $8 million. How are you going to like, what do you, but I won in that situation. I won. Maybe people, people don't realize that they, they won't look at it, but it brought my wife and I like this. We, our, our bond is more stronger than anything. You cannot take us down. And when you have a power couple, you can't turn them down from anything. It just, we, we go through anything. I learned that I've got to make keen decisions and listen to what I was taught. And if you like them, that doesn't matter. If they're drinking, walk. If they've just divorced, think again. Just listen to what you were taught. So it's a matter of, yeah, I won in that whole situation. Yeah, but it may have been a loss, but any money can always, that's one thing. Money can always be made. It's you know, we time we don't get back, but money can always be made. And there's tons of it out there for everybody to have. So that's, that never was a big issue. The money was never the issue. It was more of what I did to my family. That killed me 
inside of just feeling like a failure. But you, again, that's where you have to just, like you said, I get a result. I don't like feeling like a failure. Push it to the side. (laughs) 100%. So as we kind of wind down, I always like to kind of work through a little bit of uh, light questions, if you will, just to get our our guests a little bit better, a little bit of rapid fire stuff. Ferdinand, you ready for a few of those questions? Let's do it. See how rapid fire. This is an easy one. We're gonna we're just gonna warm you up. Android or iPhone? iPhone. iPhone. And so are you just an Apple guy right through and through? You know, Mike, like I have to work with both because I, you know, I'm in tech. So I have to have my Windows. Um, that's where I can run VPNs through and I can do everything I need to do. My Mac. I just, I'm a Mac guy down at heart. Like I don't really even use it. It just sits over there on the side, but I have to have my <laughs> Mac. <laughs> I just want to have it. It's horrible. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Now, any um, favorite tune, any favorite band, got some music? Are you a music file or you, you, you know, no? Yeah, I love music. You know, um, I like kind of everything. It's more of, there's nothing really that I have like, that's a favorite. I just, I love music and what it does for me to help me escape with my brain because I'm always thinking. So even if it's just a nice melody, just to take me away that I, so I I listen to music consistently. Can't say it's a certain artist, but it's, it's tunes and, and, and the, 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 the sound that pulls my brain away from data. Interesting. All the time. Yeah, that a brain. Interesting. Now, your mentor, you said he was Navy SEAL. You know, did he have a strong uh, routine around health and wellness? What was his practices or that you adopted? Uh, are you, do you train? What's kind of your health and wellness? Do you have a set program, you know, a discipline that you yeah. do? Yeah. So normally I'm at the gym three times a week. Uh, I used to do with his training regiment it was sansu we did a lot of sansu training which was a martial arts again they're navy seals so they like they they love to they were they had a gym inside the office to where they could just put on geese and roll with each other like they that's what they like to do it wasn't my type of thing i that i didn't like getting hurt i was not as big as they were so i'm like no i don't need to get down there with you guys but i would go to the gym that was a control not in their office but a controlled studio where they had the teacher and other students there so that were, there was no like throwing again because these guys would throw them against the wall they would do crazy stuff in there and i just that's not i'm not a navy seal that's that's not who i am i was just learning from them so but they had that craziness so they, yeah they were always working out and always working out and yeah so i try to do that but not violently not quite as uh, intense as uh, your billionaire mentor. And I got a bad back. <laughs> there you go. So what about movie? Any? Uh, what's your favorite movie? Oh, that's a good one. You know, um, I'm going to have to take it like way back. Sure. I really like like Goodfellas. That was such a good movie. Just the directing of that. I wrote to Perdition. That was a great movie, too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that that I really loved the way that that was shot. Just the uh, when I went to film school and I was done with like when Google had hurt my feelings, I'd gone to film school and just learning how they shot Goodfellas and seeing some of the behind the scenes footage. I was just 
it was like candy to my eyes watching what they did. So that was that's probably one of my favorite movies. That's cool. Yeah. Interesting. Your room, your desk, or your car? Your room, your desk, or your car? What do you clean first? A desk. <laughs> oh, you like a clean desk? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my car is pretty much always clean. My truck is not because my son's for soccer, but my car is literally clean all the time. It sits in the garage. Uh, Audi SA, so it's a collector. My room, uh, it's always laundry, man. Like, I... It's always lot. You got a family. There's always laundry being done. So <laughs> yes, of course. I'm not going to get that right away. <laughs> of course, um, you know something I, I share. I want to just go back to a guest I was going to share. You know, and great, amazing lady, very accomplished. Uh, you know, we didn't talk net worth, but definitely very accomplished. And I asked her, you know, your room, your desk, or your car, and she goes, "My car. My car is always clean." And and I don't even know how we got into it. And um, I don't know how we got into the conversation of cars anyways. And she goes, and that's why my car is always clean is because it's a Lamborghini and Lamborghinis need to be clean. That, you know, and I'm going, oh, okay, good point. Now, what was interesting about this particular lady, I wanted to share this guest, Sherry, is that she shared a story which was really kind of connected to what you talked about earlier on, which was kind of men and negotiation and how men negotiate and, and her, I think her name was, was it Ivy? Your, yes. Yeah. And her experience of how she would go in and it was a good negotiation with men. She can negotiate that way because of her look and female or whatever the story was, you know, Sherry shared a real interesting story is that she was very innovative, very into tech. She was a C, what is it? Uh, whatever the COO or CEO of a couple of different startups and technology. And she's done some really cool stuff, but she was finding that as she was going in with some great ideas, she was pitching these ideas to men and because she was female, she could see this is a good old boys club and she wasn't getting the results when she was raising capital and and many millions of dollars. This was, you know, this wasn't a small game. It was interesting what she did, her strategy and her reaction to it, which is that she then went out to women and she went into her circle of influence with influential women. And it changed her whole business and it changed all aspects because all of these women were not necessarily, they were all high worth, very high worth, uh, net worth, uh, but they weren't necessarily savvy in the you know venture capital world. So because they trusted her, she actually you know kind of educated them. She mentored them, if you will. And ultimately she has raised multi-millions of dollars and she doesn't sit down at the table with men anymore. And I went, it's such a great story, but it just, I link it back to what you were sharing is that, you know, these things that happen in the negotiation slash business world, you know, and the, yeah. the challenges that genders face, whatever that might be. And uh, it was just, so anyways, I linked those two in my head. I wanted to share that story with you. So, uh, okay. I like that. It's interesting that you say that because it's, it's so true that that happens all the time. I mean, I remember when Liz, a story with Liz where she went in to proxy, it was a big studio that we all know. And JJ, one of the guys, he couldn't be there. So she was proxying for him. And what happened was they basically said to her, well, if you don't have the brass, here, we're not going to give you any answers. 
And the way that they trained her is she just stared at the guy in between the guy's legs, just stared and and like she was sitting at the meeting telling us this. And I remember JJ saying, "You just stared." He goes, "She said, yeah, I just stared at him in between the legs. I just stared at him for a good minute." And she said, "And do you know how uncomfortable he got?" And she said, "And finally, he let me speak, and I said that I was the proxy for you, and that's how it was just she was telling. That's how I was able to stay in the meeting. So it was really interesting to see her taking like a Navy SEAL way because she was she was not that you know she was just she was she used to be a, a waitress when they brought her in. She had been um they she helped when a big fight broke out. She helped them." with not reporting them to the police. So they felt that she was such a um, asset to the team because you don't really find people that won't give out names when something that big went down. And the guys, like the guys that were harassing her, that's why they stuck up for her. And so they beat him up. She got fired. They went back to her and said, you know, go down to Newport Beach and pick out an office. And, and then she started training with them. And that was the last time they had brought someone onto her team. So to see how she turned that their style into that position of just staring and because I can see her, I can just see her doing that and the uncomfortability that you know how it would make you feel so it was it was an interesting story that you say that 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 you know when we got to they got to do what they got to do <laughs> exactly so do you have a favorite swear word uh probably fuck yeah that's all the time all the time yeah well, that's a, uh, well. You know, I often share is that I have many guests who come on and go, "Yeah, no, I don't really swear." I go, "Oh, so yeah." I go, "What the fuck are you talking about?" No, I yeah, don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm cussing all the time. I just try to be respectful when I'm on the show. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm always it's always flying out of my uh, mouth. Hundred percent. If God exists, what do you want to hear Him say when you get to the gates? You were right about manifestation. Beautiful. That's all I need Him to hear me. That's all I need. Fantastic. <laughs> and final question today, and I appreciate your time, Ferdinand. What, what are you grateful for? My family, number one. I'm so grateful. I, you know, I'm, I, I, among that, above that, I, I'm very just grateful for the experiences that we have because I know there's so many people that go through so many things in this world. And I don't try to take what I've done and what I've earned and try to push it like it's above anybody else or I'm above anybody. I, I know that there's pain out there and I know there's a lot of people that are struggling. So I get that. And I don't ever want to take what I have for granted because I have been there. I've lived in a boat eating graham crackers. So I, you know, I, I've been there. So I'm very thankful, very thankful of um, what has become of my life and what's been given to me to kind of handle while I'm, while I'm here. So but I think that comes with manifestation too. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And I'm always grateful for the guests on my show. And like you, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my amazing uh, wife who uh, supports uh, the heck out of all my crazy ideas. And uh, we partner on a lot of things. So I want to say thank you, Fernand, for your time and uh, grateful for the stories you shared and the insights you provided. Uh, thanks again. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.